This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey Flamethrowers, Amir here, and I am thrilled to be joined in conversation with Lauren Fleshman and Allison Desir around Women Run the Vote. Now, you're listening to this midway through the relay. If you've been looking at Biad's social media pages, you know we are super excited to have our team on board with this amazing event. Um, and I wanted to check in with Allison and Lauren to talk about how this event came to be and all the ways they've kind of evolved and pivoted as, uh, you know, COVID curveballs, climate change, um, and many things came to bear on the original idea for this event. And I think what we have now, what we're in the midst of, is an incredibly inclusive, important event that's raising money for Black Voters Matter. I believe at this point it's over 20 what is it? Two thousand six hundred dollars have been raised. Two hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Two hundred sixty thousand dollars. <laughs> it's so big. Has been raised. It's so much, yeah. which is tremendous. And so I wanted to have a conversation about the idea of this relay and you know what the point of it is and uh, some things going on there. So uh, I want to ask you first, Lauren, what is the idea behind Women Run the Vote? Um, well, the idea behind the relay is to raise money for Black Voters Matter to engage a, a big chunk of the running community and expanded community to put our movement towards something collective that the time calls for right now. And it has evolved over time and what that looks like, as you mentioned, the specifics, but the spirit of it has been to make our movement count for something important and to give people who are participating the experience of taking a practice they already understand, which is movement, a commitment to movement, and moving that into civic engagement and doing something for more than themselves. Absolutely. So this is a virtual relay now, and it's going from Atlanta, Georgia to Washington, D.C. Uh, teams have the next week to run 680 miles. And along those miles, they'll be getting postcards and information around the civil rights trail. And this is a new wrinkle to what was originally conceived as a, a, a broader kind of relay. And so can you walk me through how this event became virtual <laughs> and how the route was decided upon? Yeah, I can chime in there. Um, so, you know, this idea was brought to my attention by um, Sarah Lesko and uh, Lauren Fleshman, who had already been talking about this for a long time. And at one point it was meant to be an in-person relay, which to be continued, hopefully we can do that one day. But uh, we immediately saw that we should switch to virtual. And I previously used the Racery platform, which shout out to Racery. What's really cool about it is that it has a conversion of miles. So running miles, 
walking miles, cycling, swimming, gardening, really you name it, 74 plus activities that can convert into mileage to move you across the route. And we wanted to be really intentional about making sure that this was not just for people who consider themselves distance runners, that this was an opportunity for folks to move their body, you know, hand cycle, whatever, whatever way they would make the mileage, because it's really about collective action and about the force of all of us moving together and hopefully moving democracy and, and progress along. Another key piece in terms of being intentional about being inclusive was about broadening who is considered woman, right? Broadening who are we talking about when we're talking about feminists. For many, I can speak for myself, many times when you hear the word feminism, you're really hearing people talk about white feminism. So what are the ways that we can center the civil rights movement honestly a movement that we're very much still engaged in, right? We can recall the work of our ancestors and you know, our contemporaries and we can unite that struggle and center the voices of folks who typically aren't centered, right? Marginalized folks, people who are really suffering the most under all of the things that you mentioned, climate change, social injustice, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I was really struck by was because it moved to a virtual platform, it really did open up participation. I know our co-host Shireen is thrilled with the aspect of dancing her way yes. to the finish line. <laughs> um, and it really, I think, talks about accessibility in a way that thinks about movement expansively. And I and I really love that commitment. And then certainly, you know, Allison, you've done such formidable work on thinking about the whiteness of running. And of course, we're sitting here in the centennial of suffrage of the anniversary of 1920. But one of the themes that was really emerged from this year is that we know that suffrage was not actually granted to all women, women 100 years ago. We know that there were barriers for black women to vote. We know that the suffragettes of color, um, Native women, Asian women, black women, Latinx women who have that also fought to the right to vote were ostracized within those communities. And so I see this as also being part of that move to reframe and restructure what we think of the racial group politics of womanhood. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, Lauren, you, you, she speaks to that a lot. Uh, we've had conversation around just the way in her journey. I'd love for you to share, Lauren, about, you know, white feminism, the Women's March, and realizing that trickle-down feminism doesn't work, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, that was one of my first conversations that I had when I reached out to Amira was about that kind of unsettled, earth-shaking feeling of after the Women's March of going, holy shit, white feminism is what I've been doing. That's the kind of feminism I've been practicing. And these are the ways that it kind of got things like discord in the women's march. And I want to learn from those things. And I have some things I, you know, I, I, I want to do better. And I have this idea, but like, I'm not going to be the person at the center of this that's going to be able to make it the most meaningful or powerful or effective. And so, yeah, it's been a big, you know, learning experience for me as well. And it is by far way cooler <laughs> and more powerful than it would have been otherwise. And so every time I hear Allison just talking about it, I get goosebumps. And so I'm really thrilled with what has been launched, you know, and we're not perfect and we're all yeah. still learning and yeah. it's always a journey. And But I think we're bringing that spirit to this event, um, bringing our humanity and our learning to this event. All of us are. And I think that creates a, a really great environment to participate as well. Absolutely. 
Yeah, to your point really quickly, I think about uh, how epic this will be in person one day, but also, Amira, you're right, like the 10,000 folks that we have moving in their own spaces would not be possible in the real life version. And we also would not be able to make sure that there were just so many ways to, to dance, skip, roll, right? Yeah, I mean, it was really going to be, in retrospect, more of a spectator event. I mean, it yeah. would be limited to a certain number of people who had the privilege of getting time off work or responsibilities to participate and that those people would be watched by everyone else. And really that's not what democracy is about. That's not what civic engagement is about. It's about acting from where you are, blooming where you're planted, you know, all those things that people say, doing what you can, moving how you can, and and just doing it as a daily practice, as a consistent long-term engagement. So it, it really is more reflective as a virtual event of what what we're trying to accomplish. That said, I also really desperately want to run across the country with Allison <laughs> it's like in real life. It's going to happen. <laughs> so reunion tour. <laughs> I, already, I already got the band t-shirt figured out. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love it. Amira, could you, because this was attempted before, like in 1977, yeah. Torch Relay, and that was an in-person event. And what I think it was like, was it 1,400 women or so that participated? Yeah, almost 2,000. Yeah. Wow. Can you talk about that a little bit? And I what can. You see? So in 1977, there was a torch relay in conjunction with the International Women's Year. And so there was a convention in Houston, which was federally funded. It was really public and very contentious um, because it was, you know, money from the government for the evil feminists. Uh, this is five years after Title IX. And they wanted to have a moment within the convention to really forcefully talk about women in sports and women in physical culture. And so they, you know, hit up Billie Jean King and Maya Angelou wrote like a poem about the strength of women. And they symbolically started the relay at Seneca Falls. And it was going to go down through the country to Houston to kick off the convention. Um, and so there was about 2,000 runners that were recruited from being in early kind of running clubs, in high school teams, in local women who wanted to be involved, not just women either. Um, and at first they were like celebrities and then they were like, no, we want like every people, you know, to be involved. And it really much like this, it bloomed in a way that they didn't expect. It became very symbolic of the convention in the lead up, the three week lead up to it. They were very identifiable. They had these bright blue shirts. One corporate sponsor donated a car that matched the color of their shirts <laughs> to pace the runners. Um, and they got a lot of press leading up to the convention. So it became really symbolic of it. And then it culminated with a meeting in downtown Houston where their three kind of selected torchbearers, Peggy Coconut, who was a, a white woman marathoner, Sylvia Ortiz, who was a Mexican woman who played volleyball at University of Houston at the time, and uh, another local Houston athlete, Michelle Searcy, who was a black woman who was in high school at the time. And they selected the three of them to be like this symbol of multiculturalism and lead the torch in with Bella Abzug and Billie Jean King, everybody, like there's iconic images that you've probably recalled of this. And they did the last mile together into the convention hall. And so that is the historical kind of precedent for one of these relays that was really kind of like women run into democracy. But I think you can also see some of the ways that that foundation had fault lines in it, particularly the racial politics of the relay, um, which I'm happy to continue to discuss. And that's one of the things that I 
love about this event so much is it feels like it is kind of patching over some of those existing fault lines and gaps in the initial kind of experience of of getting women together to run a torch um, for uh, engaged citizenship and democratic action. Mm-hmm. I am super interested in the racial politics yeah. side of it. You know, yeah. I think like, and just a little brief side note, because there's been a awesome amount of media interest in this in the last two weeks and everyone I've talked to so far is that I've never heard of the 1977 torch relay and I can't believe I've I've never never heard heard of it it. and I felt the same way I was like this thing is momentous obviously flawed but momentous and I've grown up at in sports my whole life and I'm a woman like how have I not heard about this And, and what do you what do you think about that Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's interesting because a lot of people say the same thing about the convention itself. And it's so fascinating. I was part of a working group that studied the 77 convention and gender in the state a few years ago at the University of Houston. And it's so interesting because you're even seeing it now with Miss America on FX and this kind of return to the 70s where there's a lot of people saying, I didn't even know this history. And I think part of it is just because the 70s, like, (laughs) just... They just became historic, so we're getting some more books and works and media representations of it. But it was so significant at the time for multiple reasons. So having a relay where you were taking up space, where you're engaging in physical culture on the heels of demanding equitable space within athletics was huge. Having a real having a convention that was centered on women and like the planks, it was like, we are rural women. Here is what we need. We are farmers. Here is what we need. Um, and one of the most iconic moments was when women of color got there and was like, listen, your plank is trash because it is not accounting for our experiences. And this is when you actually start seeing the term women of color even appear. And Coretta Scott King starts and she says, this is what black women need. And she passes the mic. Um, and it liter- it's a Puerto Rican woman and there's a Chicana woman and there's an Asian American woman and there's a Native woman and it cycles through. And they say, we're standing in solidarity with each other because we are the ones to articulate our needs. And I think this is one of the racial politics of 77 is that that moment has become iconic. And even if you don't know what it's attached to, good chances are that you've seen images from this moment circulate in popular culture. Um, The open, uh, the image of like an open hall where it says like women on the banner, like all of these images are from this moment. But that women of color image in that clip oftentimes gets circulated as like, kumbaya moment like weren't we all in joining hands together the same with the image of the three torchbearers and even in the official material from the convention they like literally write a line where they're like the bronzed arm of ortiz meets the blackened arm of cersei and the white arm like the optics of the interracial solidarity of the moment were applauded without considering why there was a need for them. And so all of a sudden you get these moments where it's like women of color united, this is the rainbow, this is all of us together, women are powerful, without stopping to consider why women of color needed to articulate their own plank or what it meant to have three torchbearers, but Peggy always central in every single picture she's centered so you're still centering white womanhood even optically she's the one who ended up getting the magazine covers where the other two were actually completely cropped off and i think that is one of the undercurrents of that 77 convention which even came back up 
in 2017 at the 40th anniversary, which was like a kind of reunion of people who participated, where there's a way in which even the memory of it wanted to be this very happy look at the power we had in a way that allied the welfare rights activists were a group of black women there. And there's, I remember one panel where they were talking about how the lesbian plank, you know, had fought for all of this and then they had to deal with the welfare activist plank in a way that acted like there was no black lesbians. And <sighs> even in that moment, and this was what, four or three years ago, there was still pre-existing tensions. And so I think that that the 77 convention, there's still a lot of work to be done on it. And I'm glad historians have like decided that the 70s are worthy of study now um, because we're starting to get some really good books and shows. And I'm hoping that people start to learn about it because as we can see, it has so much direct implication to things that we're still dealing with right now. It seems like if the story was spun in a way, even in the moment, as look we fixed it like this whole event shows look we fixed it right <laughs> like that right. that has just happened so commonly with you know especially when you consider like how many of those people in charge of telling the story in the media were people of color or women probably very very oh, very exactly. few <laughs> so it's exactly. a, a nice convenient story to be like look at this great event where we fixed it and then like i never learned about it in school <laughs> you know <laughs> and that's like such anything a good else. point Lauren, because one of the things that happens that's so damning is so many newscasts like call Michelle Cersei five different names. Like, like they're like, it's Wilma Rudolph running the torch. Oh it's my like God. literally any black woman who was popular <laughs> in the seventies, she was called that woman, which just kind of points to how interchangeable she was. Cause it wasn't actually about her as a fully actualized person or human. Right. Mm -hmm. It was about like the symbol of needing her black hand on that torch. Mm -hmm. And the other part about that, about who's telling the story. I met a black woman who was, from Detroit was sent down to cover the convention. She was the first black woman to be an on-air talent. This was her first assignment. And when she started reporting and interviewing women of color there, her mic was actually cut off by one of the conference organizers who didn't want that narrative of the event to get out. And so you can see um, we have many, you know, uh, Michelle Rothschild like writes this book, Silencing the Past, the power and production of history, like what actually gets made into history. And to answer your question in another way, why don't we remember? Well, all of those things are produced. And so the narratives that we do have are simplified because in real time, there was already a kind of erasure or, you know, mm. fixing of what that narrative they wanted the narrative to be. Mm. Wow. Well, I could listen to you all day, first of I all. I know. I'm just like, what? That's amazing. Just taking notes. <laughs> but the, honestly, that's why I'm so thrilled with how this has evolved, because it seems to me to really be taking seriously, like, how do we think through what it means to be dealing with democracy, what it means to be dealing with engaged citizenship. And we know that it's gendered, but we also know that they're overlapping and intersecting oppressions. And that brings me to, you know, one of the final adjustments you've had to make, which is that the West Coast is not able to breathe. And 
you had yet another kind of curveball thrown at you that I think impacted this relay, but also prompted a conversation between climate change and sports and access and environmental racism. And so I was wondering if you guys could touch upon like the last minute adjustments you've made because of air quality concerns. Yeah, so I'm in the West Coast and so, uh, excuse me, East Coast, and Lauren can speak to the West Coast experience. But when we, you know, we gathered and we were thinking about the potential of postponing the event a few weeks, um, but then thinking about, you know, hurricane season is also coming. And so then that will impact the Southeast. And what we realized is, of course, we want to be as accommodating and make this as inclusive as possible. But this is the reality that we live in. Right. And when I was looking at images of the West Coast, particularly looking at images of farm workers, folks who are so stigmatized and called names and not treated with dignity, but like having no choice but to go pick the food so that we can then eat comfortably elsewhere. Not only was it heartbreaking, but it was enraging because that's the clear intersection of climate change and systemic racism, right? Like everybody on the West Coast is suffering and cannot breathe, but there are folks who can stay inside and just wait it out, right? So we were thinking about that. And and then we were thinking about the truth is this is the world that we live in. And this is part of why we're taking this collective action right now, because we all must vote in the polls. And then as Latasha Brown, the co-founder of Black Voters Matter says, we're not voting for heroes, right? We're, We're voting for harm reduction at this point. Who is the can? Who are the candidates that are doing the least harm and then who we can hold responsible? Because it's about rallying them around the Green New Deal, around actually addressing the ways in which factory production and pollution and all of these things that are taking place in cities where people of color are, are disproportionately affecting folks like us. So it was just like a really hard look at this is <laughs> this is this is 2020 and there's no good time, right? There's no time when we all are going to feel great, have no issues related to social justice or weather. So we decided to proceed. Yeah, and that's the spirit of it, right? I mean, you nailed it. Like, we have to proceed. We have to proceed as citizens in order to preserve a democracy. We have to we have to proceed and work with what we've got. And so the relay is is a reflection of that as well. This time period right now is where awareness of Black Voters Matter and civic engagement can make the biggest difference in the election. And waiting two weeks for a chance of better air quality for the West Coast, but something else, other natural disaster could be happening. I mean, the event is anchored in its purpose and we must go for the best we can. And one of the the pivots that we made was let's see if we can be supportive of the people who can't leave their homes and make it as easy as possible for them to have access to indoor workouts so that we can make sure there is a way available to participate. And you may not be able to participate in the way you hoped or planned. Speaking for myself, you know, I, I would much prefer to run every single day and was very excited about it and had, you know, my little story in my head about this is going to get me out every day for the first time since I had my kid two and a half years ago and all these things that in the end, you're like, it's not about me. I'm doing this for this other bigger reason. I'm going to just make it happen however I need to make it happen. And that's how I'm going to vote. And that's how I'm going to show up as an anti-racist. And I'm just going to have to keep doing it. Exactly. I love that. And, and, I, and I just, once again, I mean, 10,000 
people involved. And that's the other thing that we didn't really even get to touch on, but even making sure to be inclusive of of trans women and the trans community and really pushing against binaries um, is another layer of inclusivity of this event that is building on and extending the legacy um, past some of the way it's been contained since 77 and even before. Allison, did you want to Yeah, I wanted to say something because, you know, we use women with with the X in it um, as a nod, not as a nod, but as really being rooted in a more inclusive um, language around womanhood uh, or, you know, to include femmes, trans women, black women, everybody who feels sometimes underrepresented. Um, And then I've had conversations since then with um, trans women who have said, you know, I prefer using women, right? W-O-M-E-N, because to say that we must use another word to identify us is not inclusive. So this goes back to the piece about doing it imperfectly and also recognizing that no label can really encompass who any of us is, right? And so you do the best you can with what you have. You learn and you change and you grow. And I really hope that if and when, if we make it into any kind of history books, right? if if people are looking back at 2020 and seeing some bright spots, they can see that hopefully we're not... um, people don't see this as like the blueprint it must be done this way but seeing as inspiration right we keep iterating and hopefully getting to a time when we we don't need to actually run and use our bodies in this way to demand something that should be free for all absolutely well i just have to say that in a relentless year um this has been a ray of light and it is so exciting watching 10,000 people come you know talk about 2077 i mean 10,000 people coming together and doing it from globally. There's people outside of the confines of the U.S. participating, coming together and literally using their bodies and whatever bodies they have um, and really even figuring out, like, what does it mean to occupy this body in this space in this year um, has been tremendous. And I am thrilled to have Biad participating. I thank you guys so much for your work. Um, what should we look for? Where can people find you on social media? How do we keep this going connected uh, and connected in the future. So me personally, you can find me at Allison M as in Mary Desir, A-L-I-S-O-N M Desir. You can also follow Run For All Women. Um, content from this week will be on Run For All Women and Wazelle. Wazelle is O-I-S-E-L-L-E. Right, Lauren? That's right. <laughs> Give them hell, Wazelle. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, you know, so we'll be sharing on social. Lauren, where can we find you? Um, at Lauren Fleshman on Twitter, at Fleshman Flyer on Instagram. Um, Allison, I'm spacing right now on our official race hashtag. Is it? It's w- women run the vote. W O M X N the vote. Great, oh, and I me. think women if you run the vote, I forgot the run in there. Women run the vote. Yeah, women run the vote. <laughs> and if you go on Instagram, I think you're gonna see a lot of awesome engagement on there through the week and just highly encourage people to to check that out and be inspired you know there's a team landing page if you just google the event you can easily get in even if you're not a participant you can see the backstory of it you can see the intentionality of it and we strongly encourage you to do that and to donate to black voters matter this this week help us bring this 260,000 plus donation up even more there's no time like right now to make a difference in this election so please do it (laughs) and amira thank you for your early support for this event i mean it really when ideas are new and delicate to have you answer my email and offer your wisdom and encouragement and gentle guidance was really critical and um and to have you sign up with your 
with your team. Yes. We, you know, Allison and I just had a, we would have chest bumped if we had been in the same <laughs> city. I, know, I was like, these are like, talk about real life superheroes, but I'm, I'm going to play it cool and just yeah, tag exactly. them here on oh, social. Yeah, cool. <laughs> and, and please convey to Shireen that I'm so excited that she's dancing her way through this relay too. Yes. She was the one who was like, race, what are we running? She subtweeted us, but she is off logging miles. She already texted me this morning. I'm so, I can't, there's like almost no words. I'm like, it's been so exciting to watch it come together. So keep running, keep logging those miles. Please support Black Voters Matter. Yes. Uh, we have to get out the vote and and keep going somehow, one foot in front of the other. That's the only way. Thank you so much, Amira. Yeah, thank, thank you. you.